Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Yes, my mission really is to help other women just like me, who speak like me, who look like me, who resonate with me, women of color who have suffered with being underpaid, passed over for promotions and never saying anything because of the culture and the way we were raised. Just to accept anything, we have been given and be grateful for that. And yet we felt that we didn't have a voice and we didn't know that we were allowed to have a voice. So in my culture... To tell you, especially if you're a woman <laughs> who, you know, they tell you who to marry. You know, it has to be a man. And if you do love a woman or another man, they don't hear you. They don't see you. And the next thing you know is that you got into an arranged marriage with a man. And not only that, they tell you what to study, what not to study. And you find that you are into an arranged career also. <laughs> so I was arranged to be a doctor. I did not even like that. But that became my life. And ultimately, I found my voice and I decided to follow my dreams. And now I'm a career coach. Now I teach women to learn how to overcome what I had to overcome in my career. So they don't have to be someone else. They can be themselves. They can have their voice. They don't have to follow that programming that happened to them from the society. And they can actually go and live their life and career as they want. What I've seen is that women leave anywhere from 10 to 70K dollars on the table because they do not negotiate their salary. And I decided this has to stop. And I help women negotiate that increase, you know, 10,000 upwards to 70K and more in their salary. And I help them speak up in the meeting so they can be seen and admired as a leader and fast track to the next level. Wow, listeners, boom. What an introduction. What a way to start this episode. And I'm loving what you're sharing there because I think it's so right. I mean, I've had people who have reported into me in my global, uh, you know, when I was in my roles, get a packet and so forth, and part of the global team and Asia Pacific Japan team and that. And I had people, a woman in particular, reporting into me, huge talent, huge amount to offer. And at times they felt they didn't have, well, they didn't have the confidence. They self-doubted themselves based on exactly what you've just been sharing. And it was just beautiful to allow them to have an environment to fly to be them, to be who they should be, to have their voice heard. And this is one of the reasons why I started the podcast was because I feel that if you think about my journey with the voice, with the tumor and so forth, that people, voices being heard and being a voice of impact is very important. And so awesome. I'm loving what you shared. So that's really cool. Let's get into the, the other questions as well, if you're all good with that. And the first question here is, how did you get into leadership? That's a great question. And I appreciate it. First of all, I want to really dive into the definition of leader. 
A lot of people think that leader equals a title. Leader equals managing people. And that is not right. Leader is taking charge of your life, of your career. That's how I see leadership as. And when you're working in any organization, that's what everyone wants to do. You know, we don't apply for jobs to make friends, to be liked by others. We apply for jobs because we want to see us grow. And what I realized was a lot of us waste our potential. I have interviewed hundreds of women, amazing, like in the frontline staff to CEOs. And I have seen that they still have so much more potential that they have not been able to meet. And I realized that this can't be it. I mean, this can't be it. And that's when I started my journey of understanding what leadership is. You know, what does it mean to influence as a leader? What does it mean to help people grow? What does it mean to influence and make an impact? And that really seduced me. <laughs> and I realized that any person has the potential to be a leader as long as they are willing to really look within and really explore the edges of their comfort zone and be okay with accepting who they truly are, who are they authentically, and how they can really zoom ahead in their career and achieve their goals. And that's what led me to go deeper, really understand leadership. And now I teach people to get to that level where they want to be. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And oh, I'm taking notes. Listeners, if you're not taking notes, you should be. You should hit replay because there are some wonderful things being shared. Now, tell me, this could be, you may have several, but who's your favorite leader and why? Now, this person can be alive or from history. So who is that person? You know, one person that really made a big mark on my mind is the CEO of Johns Hopkins Baby Medical Center. That's where I worked at that time. His name is Greg Schaefer. And he did not teach me to teach me, but I learned this by observing him. And how amazing, right, that you are teaching others without really teaching them. So I remember on, you know, one of our walks, you know, as we were walking through the hospital, he saw a paper pin on the floor and he bent down and picked it up and put it in the trash can. Now, this might seem like a very simple gesture, but it made me think because, you know, I come from India and India bosses do not do those things. So I saw this humility in this person and I actually asked him, you know, why did you pick up that paper pin? And he said, you know, one of the missions of our hospital is safety. And if I'm not living that mission, who will? So I have to be that example. That was one thing. And then the second thing that he taught me was he said, I don't care if people like me or not, but respect is non-negotiable. And this is something very important that I teach my clients. It is not important to get people to like you. It is important, though, to get them to respect you. And as soon as they start respecting you, they are going to put you in a completely different league. And you will stop all the people-pleasing business, you know, that we do. We want to make our bosses happy, our colleagues happy. We have to move away from that and make respect as our gold standard. So it was just amazing to have those two things stand out. And it was great to see him lead. Excellent. And what I was just about to say, and I'm glad you shared those, those two examples of what he did, because he's not a name that everyone knows around the world, like a, a Mandela and so forth. But 
See, that's, that's somebody who's had impact on you, but also others, many others. And when you said, I don't know if you noticed what you said, but when you actually talked about the paperclip thing on the, on the, on the ground and you talked about people in India and you said, and the people who are the boss in India wouldn't do that. You see, that's the difference between a boss and a leader. Two different things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. And, and then when you said about the respect is non-negotiable. Love that. Diane, a massive welcome to you. Thank you for having me here. I was really excited to be here. I've heard great things about your show. Oh, thank you. That's really cool. Hey, whereabouts are you in the world today? I am in lovely Arizona in the U.S. It's very warm here, and if I get to enjoy it right now is the best time. You don't want to come here in the summer, but it's wonderful right now. I think I have been there around the summertime, and it's so hot. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Where, whereabouts are you, though, exactly in Arizona? I'm at a, in a town called Paradise Valley, which is basically Scottsdale. If anybody's been to Arizona, there's the Camelback Mountain. I'm right near there. Oh, so my wife and I went to Arizona and we were in Scottsdale and we loved it. We're like, oh, if we move to the U.S., this could be an option for us because it would be just a beautiful place and loved it. So it's great. Yes. Yeah. I'm a native. I'm one of the few. You don't find too many. A lot of people here get a lot of California people moving here right now, but yeah, everybody from everywhere. Yeah. A good friend of mine actually from Dallas has just moved there. I don't know if it's Scottsdale, but um, you moved into the Arizona space. I think so. It's pretty good. Now, I've given our listeners a little bit of a background about you. Tell us a little bit more. Is there anything else you want to share about your background? Well, the good thing about just doing different things as you age, it teaches you something for something else. I mean, my job really is to learn things and share things, whether I do it through my show or through my teaching or my writing or my speaking or consulting. I get it all from, you know, some stuff I get, I learn from my show from like my guests or I, my students you often share wonderful stories in class, but a lot of my background is in sales. I started in different areas of sales. I sold everything from computer software in the eighties to pharmaceuticals for AstraZeneca for, I was with that company nearly 20 years. But I, so a lot of that gave a lot of foundation to when I got into higher ed, just having real world experience was really helpful because sometimes, you know, you get people that all they've ever done is education. And that can be problematic. So I've worked in banking. I was an NAE in the subprime arena. I've been in real estate. So a lot of sales background, which got me interested in what makes people successful and what leads to performance. And so when I went back to get my doctorate, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on emotional intelligence and its impact on sales performance. Wow. So, yeah, it was very fascinating. It was really great having Daniel Goleman on my show because we got to talk about that later. And so, you know, all these things kind of all work and to build on the next thing. And because I did do so much with assessments with the emotional intelligence research, it got me into interested in assessing things, which later I assessed curiosity and perception and some of the other assessments that I do now. Wow. Emotional intelligence, great, great topic. And you've had sound like really wonderful guests on your show as well. And you know how sometimes in the new year, people sort of tend to have the word that they have for the year that they're going to follow. I go, oh, no, I'm not going to have one. I'm going to have a several. But one of the words I have is being curious. And so you just mentioned about curiosity. And tell us a little bit more, what are you doing in that space around curiosity? I started to write a book years ago about curiosity. And then because I'm so used to assessing everything, mm -hmm. I wanted to see where's the assessment that tells you what's stopping it. And what I found was there's a lot of assessments out there that would tell you if you had high or low or medium levels of curiosity, 
but what if you had low? And I'm like, well, that doesn't solve that problem, right? So I decided okay. I, I wanted to fix that. And so that's what got me interested in this, learning the assessment that went along with my book. But I really found talking to people who were super curious sparked my interest in curiosity because I'd have all these leaders. I've had so many billionaires on my show and every one of them you know, would be just more curious than the next. And I thought, well, what's similar? And it, you kept seeing this endless, insatiable curiosity. And I wanted to put that same level of desire in my students. But to do that, you had to figure out what inhibits it. And so that's what I've researched in terms of curiosity and what inhibits it. But it ties into the work I do with perception with Dr. Maya Zelahich, which I think you've interviewed her, right? Yep. And who you've interviewed, I should say. And there's a lot that ties into just all aspects of soft skills in, in general. When I think of curiosity, I often speak to groups about this and I liken it to baking a cake. Okay. So let's say you're going to bake a cake and you, <laughs> that's your end product you want, right? And so you have all these ingredients, you know, you need flour and eggs and oil, whatever it is, you mix it all together and you put it in the pan you put it in the oven and you want cake, but you don't get cake if you don't turn on the oven, right? You get, you get goo. And so in the workplace, our cake is productivity and sales, financial success, money. Let's say money is our cake. To get cake, we know we're mixing together engagement and innovation and motivation. And we have all these things that you're mixing together, putting in the pan and putting in the oven. But if you don't turn on the oven, that spark of curiosity, no one gets cake. So that's my way of looking at curiosity. Oh, what a great way of, oh, yeah, that's very good. And if you do it really well, the cake's going to taste beautifully, huh? Um, or beautiful. I like addition. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good. And so so the cake, yeah. And sometimes, you know, we can have a cake and taking that metaphor you just talked about there and bring it out of the oven and looks good. And then all of a sudden it becomes a bit of a flop. I think there is a lot of leaders out there look good, smell good, but sometimes there's not enough substance within their cake or themselves. And sometimes they become a little bit of a flop. Well, before you ask that question, I want to add to that because... Francesca Gino from Harvard was on my show and we talked a little bit about that. And the the research that's out there on curiosity is that leaders often think they encourage it. But when you ask the employees if it actually is encouraged, <laughs> it's not anywhere near the same. And so, yes, that's the thing. It, with culture, it has to start at the top of the leaders. But if they don't emulate what they'd like, they can say, I mean, Enron had a code of ethics, sounded good, but if they didn't follow it, what good is it? Mm. And that's what I was about to ask you was that, so what is the thing that sort of stops them from doing this curious thing and, and then actually getting the, the rest of the organization to do it? What, what stops leaders? Well, the thing that stops everybody is what I research. And what I found was there's four things that inhibit curiosity. We can talk about curiosity specifically, or do you want to talk about leadership? Whatever you like, because I think curiosity actually helps leaders, right? So I think it should, let's go there. Right. It helps everybody. Okay. Well, a lot of leaders don't build it in to their core values of what they set for their goals. And then they don't emulate, you know, what they want to see. But in general, what inhibits curiosity are four things. And I started out by putting a link in LinkedIn, asking people, you know, what inhibits your curiosity? Why wouldn't you speak up in a meeting kind of questions? And out of most of them were very fear related things. So I was expecting to get a lot of fear based things. But after interviewing thousands of people and surveying thousands of people over all these years, we found there's four factors and there's the acronym is FATE, F-A-T-E, which stands for fear, assumptions, which is basically the voice in your head, technology, which is over and underutilization of it, and environment, which is basically everybody you've ever had contact with. 
And these four things are the real core of what we need to work on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 